Welcome to episode five of Data Driven Security Podcast. My name is Jay Jacobs. Joining me, Bob Rudis. How are you, Bob? Jay, man, I haven't talked to you in like forever. I know. It's been like weeks, probably. Indeed. And I think you've been busy on that like little thing that you write, that DBIR, little you know, rag. That you yeah, that little, little project for the day job, uh, kind of consuming some, t- some effort there. But uh, other than that, you've been well? You've been good? Yeah, it's been uh, brutal still here weather-wise, but we're finally starting to get a little bit of sunshine and warmth, so I'm hoping to actually get out and on the bike again and start to actually experience real life. And Source Boston is this week. They get the shout-out for Source Boston. This week, Sprite, starting, starting when? Starting Tuesday, uh, which means by the time I get this out, there won't be any time for stragglers to probably buy tickets and get out there, but you should go anyway. Yeah, it's looking for a pretty good time. Some of your homies there from Verizon are going to be doing some pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think I think we one really good talk on breaches by uh, Thompson and Susan. So, um, yeah, so that should be pretty cool. Yeah, I think they're talking about the uh, VCDB project. Right, I'm sure they'll stick in a little bit of DBR goodness. I'll, I'll make them if they don't. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. I hope so. Well, Jay, uh, as you are probably aware, uh, we have uh, David Severski on with us. Uh, manager of the InfoSet program at Seattle Children's Hospital, and we actually decided to give him an entire hour to talk nonstop about all of the good things he does and tell us exactly <laughs> how to do everything that we need to do for to make a data-driven, data-driven security program successful. So, uh, David, take it away. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Bob. Only one hour. I think we're going to need at least two for that, though. <laughs> So, 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 no, for, so, just for real, um, David has been doing some incredible work. Uh, some of my folks and I talk to him on a semi-frequent basis about some of the stuff that he's doing. He's doing incredible work in the areas of like data-driven, risk-based decision-making in his organization, uh, data gathering, data crunching, um, basically just working on figuring out how, with the resources that he has, to be as data-driven and as frugal and as right on about doing security stuff as you possibly can be. And and I, as I was joking, he doesn't really have everything solved, but he is working really hard to solve a lot of things. And we just felt it was important to have him on so he could talk about his journey and, you know, basically share a bunch of ideas with us and maybe have some good conversation about, you know, where stuff, where stuff could go, what makes sense, what the rest of us are doing, et cetera. Absolutely. And I think that that is in many of the things that I do these days, that that role as a test case is probably the most value that I bring to the rest of the community there. I think you and Jay and the rest of the community there are doing fantastic things in terms of work products there. Uh, I was really disappointed to have to miss Metricon there, but I recently caught up with the uh, Kimberly Price and the Kim Possible podcast recently that you guys did last episode there. Terribly excited about the work that her and others such as Michael Reutman from Risk.io are doing there. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, I think I bring the perspective of you know someone in the, the middle trenches for a mid-sized organization there just trying to do things incrementally better. So how when you when you're talking about trying to build up a program like that, um, what are some of the common challenges that you're seeing the um, I think you know previously we were talking, you said uh, challenges around a small team and things like that, and some of the expertise. and so what what are you seeing from your perspective about standing up a, a data driven program? Sure. So I think the, the essential challenge that I have is even though my position in the organization is somewhat unique, um, I actually sit outside of the IT organization. Uh, I'm part of our legal division, so I report to the CISO, who in turn reports to both the board as well as to general counsel. Uh, So I not only don't have any operational responsibilities, it's my role to help the organization make risk-based decisions there. I'm also the audit and compliance role for the organization, and it's my job to help bring information to uh, the key 
makers to do things better. Uh, responsible security strategy and policy, but I don't generally build, operate, and maintain stuff. That's the theory and the clear distinctions there. The actual reality is a bit murkier. Uh, my team is small, as many uh, teams are. I have a total of three, including myself, and you know we're a mid-sized organization, about 1.8 billion there, so we're not small. Uh, but we're not huge either. We're not going to have a team of dozens or so analysts that are all domain experts on information security. And th the challenges that I have are, as I've evolved in my career, uh, working first and kind of the see the pants, this is what feels risky, this is what feels secure, you know, put air quotes around that. Uh, going to a more compliance-driven approach and then looking beyond that and going to say, okay, well, what really makes sense? What really are the economics of security risk decision-making um, is really how do I build that skill set? How do I find the right people? How do I encourage those skill developments? And how much can I really take on myself? Um, I have been fortunate to be able to find the time or to make the time to work with a number of different technologies there, but that is not the highest value activity that I can bring to the organization. I'm really looking to see how can I build that skill set there so I can develop and formulate the question and hand it off to either a member of my team or someone else within the organization and say, go find the interesting data around this and let's work together to answer that question on behalf of the organization. Not there yet uh, and trying to develop that both from my team's perspective as well as from the organizational willingness to receive those work products is a challenge. You mentioned though trying to build that skill set. What what are some of the steps that you've taken? Is there are you, are you hitting the usual online resources, Coursera and stuff like that? Well, I'm I'm sure he has the seminal text at his fingertips every day. At my bedside is uh, is the DDS book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we like to hear. That's what we like. Ding. To hear. <laughs> this episode brought to you by. Yeah. You could spend full time doing the Coursera courses, and uh, Alexander Pinto there, uh, you know, has done a, a number of those. I know that that was one of his primary gateways into doing this work there. And he's been very successful at that. Uh, I personally find the online format uh, not as rewarding. I need a little bit more structure to get the most value, just the way my learning style is. And to that end, I recently started up with the University of Washington's uh, professional and continuing education program on their data science program. It is a three-quarter uh, certificate program. Uh, just started last week. And it runs once a week. Uh, and we have about uh, 36 individuals studying that right now, both on the online and in-class format. Is, is that uh, the same one that, that Steve Patton on my team took? I think, I think that's the same one, right? I believe it is. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. That that was an. That, I found that. I mean, I didn't take the course, obviously, but just to echo for folks, if you're looking at trying to find a more structured program and you don't actually live in Washington, um, we found, and at least every the, all the debriefings that he gave me from the course on a regular basis, it just seemed like one of the better courses you could take remotely because it wasn't 3,000 people on it. It was a fixed set of people, and you got really good attention and time from the actual folks doing the instructions. So just just to reinforce that you're, to, I know you're taking it now, and it'd be great to have you back to have maybe a, a debriefing when you're all done as well too. But so far, hopefully you're finding the same thing he found, which it was it was pretty valuable. Yes, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm a little challenging in some ways. You know, I, I really do like the online class. Uh, I'm sorry, the structured class format. But, you know, my background is an undergraduate degree in economics. Uh, I went for the MBA route for my graduate degree there. But throughout that, I minored in philosophy and I really focused upon, you know, business ethics when I was doing my MBA program. Uh, partly because I think it's fascinating work to begin with there. And uh, I always get really excited when Josh Corbin starts talking about philosophy because it, it just uh, pulls that particular chain for me. <laughs> But uh, I'm as much as I'm interested, and I think as much time as we spend on the tool set, whether it be R or the data analytics programs or the all the, the current bling around Hadoop and Hadoop-like platforms, there, I'm really interested in the question around why. 
what is it that we're doing what we're doing? What are the questions that we really hope to answer? And that's something that uh, I was recently brought up short on myself. Uh, Jarrett Post out here, who is actually going to be speaking at Source Boston next week, I believe, was actually assisting me because uh, he's a local Seattle guy himself. We've got a, a very great community out here, uh, small but very active. And he was really challenging me on a couple of points of saying, well, I see you building this particular data platform. Why are you doing that? What questions do you really hope to do with that? And um, I had to pull up and actually ask myself why that was because I was doing basic log collection, processing, and so forth technologies there. And I had not really formally defined or even very clearly defined what were the problems I was trying to solve, whether it be sort of a, a GQM goal question methodology or a measure approach there. And I found that really interesting. And one of the challenges I see with data and analytics is there are an infinite number of tools that you can spend your time learning there. Um, certainly there's the big powerhouses such as R and so forth there, and you can choose your stat program of choice. But until you really define what it is that you're doing, there's a danger, and I've suffered this myself by, um, you know, as I've said and sometimes, you know, to learn all the things. And you, you just can't do that. Uh, as much as I would like to learn all the things, I don't have enough time in the day, I don't have enough cranial capacity to do that kind of work. And so I have to continually check in with myself, what problem am I trying to solve? What's the best use of my time? And do that kind of economic calculation upon, okay, this is where I should be spending my time right now. And will this provide the most bang for the buck for my organization, for the analysts that I'm trying to develop on my team, and help me answer those questions? And that, that was another note that I took about answering that question, focusing on that question and zeroing on it. And I think for all the tools and things that you mentioned and sort of questioning about learning that. I think, I think, just so you know, I think Bob knows them all. <laughs> well, Bob is just a superhero. We know that. Right. So anytime, like, something comes up and I don't know what it is, I'll just shoot Bob a quick question saying, what are they, what is this talking about? And he'll just either shoot me a few links or something like that. But he just, whatever it is, uh, and typically I might not know it, and he just fills me in on it. So just so you know, if you're ever wondering, what some technology or tool is, Bob can tell you. <laughs> well, I suppose well, the, no, the, the challenge. No is pressure just, here, guys. Thanks. No pressure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the challenge. Is that I may be aware, and I'm, Bob has a deeper knowledge there of what the tools are, but actually being able to apply those and use those proficiently. Um, R is a perfect example of that. You know, I have used R, and I've gone through some of the Coursera classes, uh, and I think I am probably moderately proficient there. I, I can do certain things on there, but then I'll get pulled away to work on a Python project or I'll be working on an infrastructure project to do some of the things I'm doing with logging and perhaps we'll get a chance to talk about Elasticsearch and all that sort of thing there. And I think that's great, but then I'll have to come back for a rerun some R functions I developed there. And just because I haven't picked up that tool in three weeks, there's a switching cost involved in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually something that I've struggled with in the past. Um, there was a point where I was doing R code and Python code and doing Excel VBA type things, and there, you know, you do that switch, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, how do you do an if statement in this language? You know, I mean, you're just, yes. I mean, just basic stuff like that. You know, that just you have no idea what language you're in, or, you know, just for a flash, and you're like, how do I even do like the basic variable assignment? You know, I mean. Just some silly things like that. So I I know exactly what you're saying, and I think that that it becomes worse because then all of a sudden you start talking about you know the the data cleaning and then the actual analysis and the visualization. If it's if you're working with disparate tools like that, you do get into that sort of brain lockup of this transition between the technologies, and it's horrible. I don't have a solution either. Uh, I think the, the best solution that I've been leaning towards recently is uh, trying to pick a few tools and know the limitations of those and say, you know, this may not be the perfect solution, but we're going to commit to stick with this for at least, you know, six, nine, 12 months, choose the interval that makes sense based upon your particular cycles there, and say, this is what we're going to do, and, and try not to get uh, the squirrel factor come in of, you know, the ooh, new shiny 
type of functionality. Um, I, I'm subject to that to myself, and I think that may not be uncommon, but with a small team, you really have to make painful decisions about what you're not going to do, and that's much more important. Uh, well, that's as important as deciding what you actually are going to do. Yeah, I, actually, I really appreciated you you saying what you said there. Um, I, I think I mentioned before how I, we try, and I think you've talked to Steve and my team, and I, I try to make sure we're doing you know, what we need to do and nothing more just because we have, despite being a larger company, as you probably discovered talking to Steve more, even more than talking to me, we don't have a dozens of people working on these things either. We have a few people working in this particular space and if they try to go do everything or try to get distracted with other things, it's going to mean we can't do the deep analysis in one area that we might want to do that might actually be very fruitful. And as an example, like they just came up to me a couple of weeks ago saying, we want to do NetFlow. I, I think they I, I think they on my recommendation read Collins's book, and now they're all NetFlow people, and that's great. Like NetFlow's got a, is a great data source, but you know I still have yet to get them to stand up a fully functioning and consuming all the things Elasticsearch instance that I want for the firewall stuff mm -hmm. that we have. So, you know, do one thing. Let's get really good at it. Let's mine the heck out of it until we think we can't get any more, and then add a data source, or at least you know if we can put on the plan list. But let's not just kind of divert all our things. All you know, all at once to a bunch of different stuff. But I think there's another problem, and it's not just you know trying to go between seven different tools. You know, right now R is a really interesting place to be if you're doing R stuff because so are you of base graphics and base packages, or are you of ggplot and plier, or are you of yes. um, dplyr and all of the new ggviz stuff that's coming out? Which where 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 do you stand? And even going between those three, it isn't really as simple as a lot of folks might want to make it out to be, or even as sometimes right. I, I, I maybe make it out to be when I'm doing it. And you know that that's kind of a problem because you got to, you know, even there, there's a deep, steep learning curve for every one of those three things that I just talked about. And jumping back and forth isn't really easy for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and what I've been really kind of hoping would emerge and have not seen that yet is a whether you know it's a, a vendor slash consultancy type organization that will emerge and say, okay, we have some domain expertise and we're going to help you be data ana analysis on demand and help you stand that up, both to help you build out your infrastructure because there inevitably are some sort of infrastructure needs around this, whether it be on-premises or in the cloud, et cetera, there, and then help you once you have that built up to uh, find the right resources for training, help you formulate those questions, and then perhaps serve as sort of a, uh, what I kind of think of as an expert help desk approach to saying, okay, I have this particular problem there, help me solve this on a consultative basis. That's something we get out of the community today. There's, there are times where you know everyone else has other demands upon their time, jobs, day jobs, and so forth there. And there have been times, and I've been struggling with this fairly recently myself, where I say, I have this particular problem. I would gladly pay someone to come in and sit with me here that knows more than me to be the brain and to teach me how to solve this particular problem, whether it be technology, a data analysis question, et cetera. And I don't know really who to go to on that. Yeah, so that that's very challenging. Uh, and I know that you desperately try to avoid the RSA show floor and RSA in general um, every single year. <laughs> And unfortunately, and you, I think Jane and I talked about this briefly a, a couple programs ago, but you know, I found yet again what they're selling on the RSA floor are fish, right? And they're they're not. There's no big practice. There's no big consultancy. There isn't even. There aren't even that many boutique ones that are willing to come in and teach you how to fish because then you may not actually need to buy their fish anymore, right. and or at least they perceive that you may not need to buy their fish anymore. And I think that's a really significant misconception because, as all of us just said, things are changing so quickly. By the time that you've gotten mastered in whatever that they've come in to consult with you once for and help you build, you're going to be, need to have more of that for different things later on down the road. So this is you know a constant education cycle that these folks need to get into. And I think there is a lot of opportunity there if there are a really good smart startup or an existing you know company that's willing to come in and do something like that. Yeah, and I, I suppose the the unfortunate situation that you're left in then is that you do have to maybe not learn all the things, but you have to learn more things than you really intended or wanted to yourself in order to be successful. One of the examples of that is the work that uh, I'm largely doing right now to support my team around the Elasticsearch type of functionality there. And one of the challenges has been there's a lot of infrastructure that has to get built up with that. And largely it's based upon open source and Unix flavored uh, technologies, which is not an organizational strength of my particular institution. You know, we're a Windows shop there and we don't do development. We do a lot of integration 
application. We have a lot of applications, a lot of smart people. We don't really do development. It's not something we have into our culture, and we've made a deliberate decision not to do something there. So I've actually had to spend quite a bit of time you know, off hours on the weekend, uh, during work when I can do that to learn those technologies and I have a Unix background so it's not so much the command line uh, phobia but you know I recently took a one-day workshop down in San Francisco I had to fly down take a day off of work uh, go to a workshop and actually it looks like I'll be back in San Francisco next week for a three-day conference down there just to solve some of the infrastructure questions that I have and that's uh, interesting technologies and if I had you know infinite amount of time and infinite funds that would be a fantastic way to spend uh, my time but that's all non-value add well I mean and, and I, I, I want to talk more about specifically Elasticsearch but before that you know there there are other tools and so I'll say Splunk right so Splunk is kind sure. of sort of what I would consider the commercial equivalent of Elasticsearch, and I say equivalent of, and I, I'm not sure that's even fair because they're not exactly the same types of things, but they do very similar things. Is was the whole not reason not to use something like Splunk because of the cost? It's cost prohibitive to use that because it is pretty expensive to bring into an organization. It, it is, and it's it's the cost and it's the formal infrastructure there. So right now my lab is you know a single device, which is fairly beefy. It's prosumer grade equipment, and, and I believe. Uh, Bob, you know, your lab is somewhat cobbled together itself there, but I don't really, since I'm not an operational team, I don't really want to bring in additional infrastructure that's dedicated to my team. If I do bring in additional infrastructure, it either has to be supported by my IT organization or it's going to have to be some sort of a cloud type infrastructure. And right. both of those things have costs, both in terms of time as well as you know, real capital or operational dollars there. And so I've turned to the open source activities to be a way to stand something up hopefully relatively quickly, get some value out of it and show, hey, I can answer this particular type of question with this particular infrastructure stack and this is a compelling enough business case that we either need to fund developing this project in-house or go to a cloud provider to be able to stand it up there and have the operational people to support that. I actually think that coming from a cobbler's perspective will actually make the ultimate solutions far more robust and targeted than they might otherwise be. So like, you know, if you're starting off with a giant, you know, Teradata cluster for Hadoop or something like that, you're, you're, you're not really constrained. There aren't really that many constraints, but when, when you decide that you're going to build a security data practice on, on the sly and kind of basically max out eight desktops and then eventually get like three really beefy server boxes in your lab, and then actually to make Jay really like salivate here and dump a maxed out uh, Mac Pro workstation on, on on your employee's desk like I did last week, um, <laughs> it, it really does help you know the ability to do more stuff. So I hear you on there, but at some point the amount of like I guess I guess where I go is there no way to do a calculation that says you've put in this much X amount of time to learn Elasticsearch and I I think we I think we, and Jay we we don't forget that we need to talk more about that but. Like yeah. if you if you multiply all the all the time costs of that that maybe your work isn't feeling because you're doing it outside of hours and things like that it doesn't it come down to the point where maybe you spent even more doing that you know if you do time to dollars comparisons than you would if you had just brought Splunk in had someone tell you how to do Splunk in a week and start shoving stuff into there. Yes, and, and that that's something that I've uh, come to terms with fairly recently. There, you know, you add you know make up some hourly burden rate there and you think about the time that I've spent on that and you add that up and that doesn't take long to come up to be some real dollars, you know, any typical uh, corporate hourly rate type of thing there, even though that's not consultative rates. And so I'm, I'm at that point now where I'm kind of pulling myself up short and saying, well, wait a minute, how much more time do I spend on this? Um, I think the challenge that is sometimes present there is that those are those are soft costs and they aren't uh, explicit. And when you go out and say, hey, I need you know, $10,000, $15,000 for a consultative contract there, uh, those are, that hits an actual budget line versus a uh, operational manpower, person power budget where you know, other work just still gets done around that. And so that's a bit of a challenge there. So one of the solutions I'm taking to that right now, again with uh, 
the gracious help of some of the folks here in the Seattle area, is really redefining my service catalog and saying, what are the core services that my team provides? How do they support our overall information security program? And based upon some of the um, enterprise-level risk modeling that my CISO and our executive risk management function perform, where should we be spending our time and by proxy, you know, our, our budget around those things there? And one of the areas that's come up as, you know, where we want to be spending our time is around the area of what we call, you know, threat management and intelligence, which really means boils down to like uh, one of the questions around that is incident management. So we have a, a certain incident rate in my organization that's X. And based upon what I know about the size of our organization, what I see through sources such as the BCDB, uh, from the fine folks at Verizon there, I suspect that X is too low. And the question there is, well, where is the rest of the stuff? And how can I go about finding that? And what I'm really struggling with right now is, uh, struggling is a bit of a strong word, but I'm trying to tackle right now is if my suspected incident rate is you know X plus N, and I'm only seeing X, what are the data sources that I need and what are the questions that I need to ask from an exploratory perspective that will uh, help me identify N? I am so impressed with just how mature that structure that you put in place is. And it may not feel like it's mature to you, but the fact that you've got it around decision making, you've got it around targets, you you even decided to go look and base your stuff on data sources to go look at. We, we're not seeing, like, we don't fit within the normal curve of this. Why not? Let's go figure it out. And I'm just kind of, I'm just amazed at that, and I don't want to get, but I I want to go back to what I was going to talk about before, which was yes. So, so this will, so because I, I and so hopefully Jerry wrote that down, but so I, I know I equated Elasticsearch to um to Splunk, but that's probably not doing Elasticsearch justice. A lot of folks that are listening to this, um, as we kind of sort of discovered through Metricon, uh, the one the one Metricon presentation we had aren't really familiar with a lot of these newer up-and-coming technologies to bring in and help them do data-driven programs. So if something like Elasticsearch you know, can maybe help them with that. And I'm wondering if, if you could give me your perspective in the elevator speech for what Elasticsearch is. Sure. So um, I'll put a plug here and I'll send you guys a, a link for the show notes. I, I did a fairly re recent stack, uh, a recent presentation on Elasticsearch or more formally the Elasticsearch Logstash Gabbana stack, um, also known as ELK, ELK. And the, the gist of that presentation and the gist of the problem I'm trying to solve is um, we have a SIM solution like almost all organizations do. And like all organizations, we think it is not not optimal for the use cases we have. Let's put in the polite terms around it. So SIM is not what we need, and SIM is always going, never going to be, in my opinion, for where it's at right now, not going to be the total solution. So what is the platform by which I can ingest process, and that's the scrubbing and transformation, uh, archive, and then display uh, what's happening for my the various different logs that I have, as well as how can I extract information out of that to do the more, uh, what I describe as the higher level analytics platforms, where I'm actually pulling data out and actually putting that into a graph database or putting it into R and doing some sort of categorization and classification machine learning algorithm around that. So what we're looking at right now is uh, basically three major chunks to that platform. One is the log collection place. And for that, we're using our existing SIM solution. And the, one of the nice things about our SIM solution is that it does a pretty decent job at log collection aggregation. You know, it's a big syslog server out there and has additional things beyond that. But it does a good job of capturing logs. And it does give me raw access to those log files. I can SSH into the box, and it, there's the tar gzip files right there, and I can access them all as needed. So we're looking at taking that existing repository, keeping that in place so that we can continue doing the operational reporting that uh, my IT teams need, and then transferring that data off to another platform, whether it be in-house infrastructure or possibly the cloud there, we haven't yet decided, and ingesting that into uh, Elasticsearch. And Elasticsearch, for those who haven't uh, come across this technology in the past, it's basically a uh, full-text search engine. It's based upon the Apache Lucene project. It is open source. It is incredibly fast. And this is what powers many sites such as ProQuest. It powers uh, Wikipedia, I believe. Lots and lots of data sources. Uh, and in fact, I was actually uh, 
in this workshop fairly recently down in San Francisco where I was sitting next to someone from a major cloud software as a service provider and they're uh, ingesting um, over two terabytes of data a day over a 150 node Elasticsearch cluster. So very, very scalable, very, very large or you can scale it all the way down to a single node which is what I have for a test environment there. And the advantage of Elasticsearch for me is that I can ingest logs there, keep them for a relatively short period of time. And right now we're looking at a 30-day window right now for most of our logging. And I can then display that uh, via logging and visualization platforms such as Kibana, which is another open source HTML JavaScript based framework, which allows you to query Elasticsearch and display that in all the various different uh, visualization types you might like. The third component to that is what I think of as the archival and data mining component, where I'm looking at taking the information that flows out of my SIM solution into Elasticsearch and then transferring that to longtime archival, whether it be something like S3 or OpenStack or some other technology there, and put that into a big platform, whether it be something like Hadoop or perhaps Spark, which I've been uh, really interested in recently, and then storing it there for long-term archival, long-time storage, and then be able to do queries on demand to be able to say, okay, I had this pro I see this problem today about here's a bad uh, IP actor based upon, say, the Alien Vault IP reputation information, and I see we talked to that one at this date and time. What else has that particular client on my network talked to over time that may be perfectly legitimate by others? Uh, definitions so that I can do that kind of graph analysis of okay traffic came in at this point there can I unwind it to see what else I need to look at in the network that's the goal yeah that's that's actually a really pretty powerful platform that I think you're gonna end up building or that I mean that you're building now that you will end up having have built for that and that's kind of ultimately where, where we want to go we're, we're still having some data acquisition challenges on, on our part to do a bunch of the things. Um, we won't go into the specific details of those things. You know, I'm curious if if it's possible or do you think it's possible, you know, so for what, what you just described isn't exactly a, and I think you even said this before too, it's not like a rocket science thing that, that you're, the, the case you're putting together. This is sort of like meat and potato stuff that I think almost all infosec practitioners want to be able to do I think those I think those actions that you just described that you'd like you know the questions you want to ask the threads you want to kind of pull at to see where you know where, where things are going in your network are kind of where everyone wants to go and I, I'm just wondering you know if there's ever going to be a way to kind of can that so that we don't have to either go cobble together something with Splunk and you know pick whatever you know reporting tool set that's out there for that or cobble together something with Elasticsearch and Kibana and all the stuff that we have to do for that too. You know, is there going to be a solution that someone can bring us that can bring all this stuff together? Have you seen anything that I think JR I haven't seen maybe that gives you hope on that horizon that people are going to be doing something like that? Honestly, the the biggest hope that I have for that are things such as data-driven security, uh, whether it be the book, the podcast, the blog, et cetera, there, and the community. Uh, again, you can expand that to Metricon, uh, other venues of similar ilk as well. Uh, I would like to think that the, the vendors will eventually get that, but I think what we need to do first is uh, be very open upon what kind of work products are we creating within our teams, what are the situations that let us to create those work products, and what are the tools, processes, and techniques that allowed us to do that. And it's my hope that we can start to see perhaps not premature standardization, but some commonalities there so we're not all having to invent the wheel, create our own special snowflakes of architectures and data analysis products there. And we can start to say, okay, Bob has done this really interesting thing on graph analysis with zero access. Is that something that I can use to solve uh, in not necessarily the same question, but a very similar question here, so I don't have to leverage all of that. Um, can I steal your code for, um, uh, can I use your code for, uh, say, the IP reputation information out of Alien Vault or some sort of similar type of technologies there? Uh, that's my hope, uh, but we need to be much more open about that, and I, I don't yet know what the proper platform is for sharing that work in a way that we can all find. It may be through lists such as security metrics. It may be through some of the work that Sarah is currently doing and uh, wants to do. Uh, those are the areas that I'm spending my time to dedicate on right now. 
you know, you're following sort of the same mantra that I have, which is, you know, stop following HP, stop following RSA, stop following, you know, pick security vendor of choice and go out and see what Netflix is doing, go out and see what Etsy is doing, see what all these folks that are doing extremely incredible operations type research, operations type log, you know, um, visualizations from logs, you know, monitoring, and, you know, et cetera. You know, the, the security space isn't nearly as unique as we'd like to think it is. There are some of these challenges have been solved by other folks. Now, we have, there's unique components of what we want to look for and what we need to have as outcomes, but we seem to be more reticent to, you know, do something like build, you know, and I'm not saying we should rewrite Elasticsearch, but I'll take that as an example. You know, we're, sure. we, don't, we don't build Elasticsearch and then say, oh, here's the open source version of it. Let's share it and put code together. And, oh, here's my whole repository of stuff that you can clone and fork and blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we, we tend to keep a lot of this security stuff pretty close to the chest because we think it's going to let everyone, you know, hack into all the things, I think. <laughs> and, you know, how do we, you know, how do we help folks make the determination that, it's okay to share your graph search algorithm or the parameters that you provided into existing graph search algorithms because you're not really giving me your data. You're just giving me that stuff. And if it helps me do my thing faster and I can tweak it and help you do things better, you know, kind of put that out there because th that's what I see happening in those other communities which are focused on keeping their operations running 24-7. And I find it interesting that, you know, Etsy and Netflix and I'll, you, you can pick a whole bunch of others don't view that as, um, how am I going to put this? It's not... It's not something that they view as core or as so important to their business that it's not worth sharing to keep other businesses up, right? You know, somebody could try to come out and beat Netflix with another streaming service and use a lot of the same techniques and tools and stuff that Netflix has given. Some people could try to do the monitoring that Etsy is doing and, you know, can say, you know, the, so they'll be able to keep their infrastructure running equally as well. And, you know, that's not the actual differentiator there. So that's not the key differentiator in all of their organizations. They're, they're still having their own products and their own services and they do stuff well. And I don't know why we can't seem to build that same kind of a community here where, you know, security isn't supposed to be a differentiator between, you know, three different kinds of, you know, companies that aren't security companies, you know, like one, one health or one financial services org and one tech org. We, we all do our other stuff and sharing this stuff shouldn't be a problem. And I just still can't find people that are really willing to do that on a broad basis. Yeah, I think to your point, I mean, this is not a competitive advantage. You know, outside of a few, and I think it's the vast minority, um, my function is not a core uh, competency of my organization. You know, we do it because we have to, and because we, you know, we want to make good decisions and be good stewards of both the information and the resources entrusted to us. But I am, I'm waste for my organization. Uh, I don't cure sick kids directly. Uh, and I'm very aware of that. Uh, and so anytime that I come to a budget request or whatever there, I have to be aware, okay, is this the most important thing that we're spending our time on? To, to play the uh, devil's advocate a little bit, one of the challenges with sharing just the models or just the code there is that I think for many folks that are at the, the lower end of the maturity curve, such as myself, until you actually see... Uh, something like uh, Jay, I'm sorry, uh, Bob, to go back to your zero access graph, until you actually see how that was actually applied and how you actually solved a problem or gained more insight or, you know, heaven help you, you know, detect a problem you didn't know was there, uh, just the model or just the code itself is not the highest value. I mean, if you're if you're not deep into this and you haven't really embraced the data-driven lifestyle yourself, uh, you're still trying to figure out, okay how is this going to help me do what I need to do right now when I have this long list of tickets for file changes, for antivirus and so forth there? How is this going to help me? The area where I see perhaps uh, great amounts of opportunity, and I was really interested that you mentioned it, of Netflix and Etsy, is perhaps in the DevOps movement. So this particular hopefully transformation that's happening with an IT through the work of folks like Kevin Bear and Gene Kim with the Phoenix Project there is how do we actually get IT to be more nimble and be more embedded with the business and you know DevOps is particularly focused upon the, the separation between development and operations uh, but it's not necessarily those particular groups it's really how can we, we be lean how can we be agile there and that community as a whole the DevOps movement is very open in what they share and that these are the practices so you do see folks like uh, Netflix and Etsy and the Amazon well not so much the Amazons but to a certain extent are out there and talking about how they actually do work now granted those are very large organizations uh, but it, it can scale to different directions. 
Um, so I know that some of the work that Rich Mogul out at Securosis has done around uh, DevOps and security, and Andrew Hayes has done some work as well now over at uh, OpenDNS, how these principles of cloud-based security can also be applied, I believe, to infrastructure, traditional enterprise security there, which is still, you know, a very dominant force for most folks that aren't, you know, online services providers of one form or another. I'm actually just kind of floored, and I think um, the fact that you think that you're on the lower end of the maturity curve, I think, is rather entertaining. Uh, I, I, I actually find, no, Jay, I actually find that really frustrating because it, and it isn't faux humbleness. He actually, I, David, you do actually think that, I think, and that's not cool because you're one of the smartest people I know. Um, it, 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 as I tell Jay, like, you know, I, I, I appreciate the fact that people think I'm, I'm a good Google for stuff, but the reality is, is you guys seem to know far more than, than I know about a lot of the stuff. And, and, you know, you really are not at that lower end of the spectrum, regardless of what you want to believe or how you, how you might feel. You're doing a lot of really good work and applying stuff directly to solve real problems that a lot of folks are still just pontificating about. So that's that's to me really impressive, and more of a sign that you've actually managed to make something tangible out of something, which automatically puts you into a different category. So. Yeah, and I I think actually that this is a, a rather important point that I think most everybody is struggling with these exact same challenges, and I, you guys kind of touched on that about. Um, you know, everyone everyone is treating themselves like a special snowflake and, you know, trying to develop this or that one-off thing. But I think that's largely where we are. Um, I think that everybody is in the same boat. And then to, to start talking about these things I think would be just fantastic. And I think the way that we do that, Bob, to kind of answer that question that you posed to David, I think that happens uh, on a very personal level at first that, you know, it's not going to be, hey, everybody should open up. It's going to be, hey, how can I open up? You know, that's really how this is going to occur. It's going to occur with individual people or individual organizations starting to open up and talk about these things, and, and we're starting to see that, right? I mean, you know, Bob, for you and I, the people we talked to at RSA, I mean, they were very interested in talking about stuff. David, you're on the podcast talking about this stuff. You know, we had Kimberly on, and and Reutemann and some of the other guys, we, we've talked to them, they're all really open about it, and I think that's how it's going to occur. I think we just, we need that platform, and I think that we're right on a tipping point at this, where we are, that I think once this starts to really tip, I think there's going to be a floodgate open, and and it'll be, you know, a new dawn of enlightenment or something like that, I don't know. Yeah, we, we talk about how we're afraid to, to share data even, right, and you know, I mentioned in a lot of cases sharing the models, and I agree, David, having the models with exposit behind it or expository stuff behind it that explains you know how it worked why it worked conditions that worked etc is pretty important but but even the whole sharing of data is starting to get really frustrating for me um, in that we, we really think that our data is this really super secret and you know we, we couldn't even begin to share even the outside parts of our firewall logs like forget exposing the internal IP space just you know don't even don't even send stuff to DShield or, or whatever it is and then, and then an organization like Bitsight comes along, and I'm not sure if any, you know if either of you have seen more of the Bitsight stuff that, than I have, but you know these guys just they pay a bunch of providers for NetFlow, you know my NetFlow data, your NetFlow data, everybody's NetFlow data, and they're they're, they're crunching on it. And you know, this data that we have isn't nearly as 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 precious and as sensitive as we like to think it is, because if if anyone can get access to it, then why bother and why aren't we trying to do more and learning more from that kind of stuff too? And you know, I'm not saying that sharing data is more important or even equally as important as sharing methodologies and and the learnings from how to build a bunch of this stuff to build a bunch of these stacks together. But yeah, I, I think that's another problem that we probably need to not necessarily talk about here, but you know, maybe make sure we all remember as we're out there trying to do things. You know, the data part, it, I think, does come part and parcel with the whole sharing of, of other stuff, too. Yeah, and I think to, to Jay's point there on the, the tipping point question there, I, I think that's a, a good phrase, and I think that really does uh, capture what I feel we're on the cusp of. And, and I don't mean to play the, the false humble card, to, uh, at least too much there, um, and I appreciate the, the kind words, but my frustration and why I say that I'm at the lower end of the maturity curve is uh, – you know, I f still feel very much you know, the beginner's mind, still the learning phase there. I'm still trying to learn and come to terms with these techniques. And what I feel is frustrating is, you know, I'm still trying to, to get the infrastructure working, whether that be actual physical boxes or whether that be, you know, basic proficiency in a statistical package such as R or trying to understand the nuances of, you know, the, the fun world of exploratory data analysis there. 
and I feel perpetually, and I think many other people may feel similar, you know, always on the edge of being able to do something useful. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've almost got enough there. If I could only get over that, you know, one hill, if I could just push a little bit harder, you know, Sisyphus would actually get to the top of that hill and we could actually produce uh, uh, something of value. And that may be a, a false perception there, you know, and maybe it's just a little I'm not sure whether it's pessimism or optimism sometimes there, that, you know, that rock is always going to fall down that hill. There's always going to be something new to learn, some new challenge to approach, whether it be, you know, because our infrastructures are very dynamic, there'll be new data sources, old data sources will move out, there'll be new techniques, we'll see, we'll go to Metricon and say, oh my gosh, this person is light years ahead, let me steal that there. And that's okay if we can start producing something of value for our organizations to make some decision better and maybe it's in a quantifiable fashion I hope it, it will be but if we can start to make some decision better it's okay if that rock falls back down that learning curve and we have to pick up you know we have to move from Hadoop to Spark or we have to you know go from R to Julia or whatever it may be or from Python to Ruby or vice versa that's okay um, the the joy I think for us is that you know we do get to learn all this stuff and we do get to, to play with the data and that play actually has value and so when that rock falls down it's it's not bad to be Sisyphus, you know, in that moment where the rock's falling down, you have to imagine that Sisyphus is happy. <laughs> to go from there, there's a whole bunch of distributions out there that help folks become really great at IDS, right? There was a bunch of early distributions which featured Snort and lots of security tools, so building an IDS was almost, a, you know, it wasn't a no-brainer, but it really didn't require as much effort as having bring a compiler out and do stuff from there, and there's pre-built packages and go from there. Uh, sort of like you were saying, you know, you, we have now got Bro out, Bro, the Bro and Bro IDS environment out there, which is not really taking. I'm not going to say it's usurping Snort, but it's one of those things where the rock dropped, and there's people pushing that up the hill now too. There, you know, there, there have been other types of distributions where a bunch of tools were put together to help, you know, security professionals, you know, do either do pen testing or on the or other stuff. You know, you, I think Kali's like the, the the current current gen of a lot of that stuff. Mm -hmm. it, w is there is there efficacy? Is is there benefit or is it too unique and the data data environments people have too dis disparate to say we need to have the, the security data science stack that people can just grab run and start to run a bunch of different stuff through say if you've got log X shove it through this it'll figure out that you're running Cisco and it'll take your Cisco logs and do X with it or it'll figure out if you're running Juniper etc. You know, is, is that going to be where this thing needs to go to get better at doing it in organizations or, or, or is it just going to be always too complex to have something as big like that? Um, I, I think there is a role for the the pre-can solutions such as Kali, such as the the, the Onion or Broidea, Securata, et cetera. There, you know. In fact, you know, I, I just started kicking off uh, before we started on this particular podcast. There, my Hadoop solution is the Hortonworks uh, Sandbox, which you can download uh, for free off of the Hortonworks site and download that. And I use that to do uh, pig-based uh, ETL jobs and to extract you know, what IPs have been hitting me there, and then I pull that into R to do cross-referencing. So I think that there is the opportunity for a common uh, infrastructure data science stacks, and I think that that is well within the realm of possibility and probability that we will see fairly soon. Um, where I think we have the most work to do and is probably going to be more valuable is at the higher end of that spectrum of saying, what are the questions that we want to answer? and how do we go about answering that? And maybe that gets down to the level of models and so forth there, but if the question is, hey, I have an incident rate of X and I think it's X plus N, how do I resolve the question around N? How do I detect the unknown unknowns and move that into the known unknowns? And hopefully to the actual realization perspective there. And to that end, you know, one of my goals, and I'm very close to be able to do this, I think, is you know, I want to show, uh, for instance, the the service catalog that we started off talking about there. These are how I've structured and how my program is structured through my CISO. Here's what I'm working on, and here are some of the questions around this. Here are the projects that we're doing in each of our particular domains, and here's where some of those projects uh, delve into the realm of data-driven security. And here are the tool sets that I'm looking to answer that. You know, I think this needs to be more top-down from question, from goal and question, rather than methodology. We've got a lot of folks doing great work on the tool space there, and DDS is one of them. Uh, but I think there is quite a bit of work left to be done on 
what are the real questions we're trying to answer and solve, and then the tools are, will meet us there when we have those answered. Yeah, actually, in my head, I was envisioning a almost a, a like I guess wizard or chart chooser or you know so something like you know the the I guess the chart chooser is what first came in came ahead. I think you both have seen it. Where if you want to create this kind, of, I, I have this kind of data. I want to have this kind of thing. What chart do I pick? Right. So you kind of go through the whole thing and choose from there. And I think we have a link to it from the book. Um, but what if there was a you know here are the questions that I here that, that I'd like to ask. Here are the data sources that I have. And you know maybe even let you input sizes or something like that, and then it goes out and says, "Here's a you know it suggests a stack. I may not build the stack for you. It's not going to be an auto creator of a thing, but it at least points you in the right direction of the things that you need to be thinking about using to do that kind of stuff." Yeah, I could see it as a you know choose your own adventure flowchart type of thing. There, of, here's this problem there, and and you know based upon what your infrastructure looks like and what problems you're trying to solve where you sit in the organization, it might lead you to, okay, you want to be looking at these, you, you need a log aggregation and visualization platform. Please look at Elasticsearch or look at Tableau or look at Splunk, whatever there. You're starting to do some stuff with automation too, right? So you're you're starting to do stuff with, with Chef, Puppet, etc. Is that to integrate into your build process for these security metrics or is that to extend into other parts of the organization for, for other things? I would love it to extend into other parts of the organization, but I'm very selfishly focused right now. So when we start doing work with data analysis and you know data sciencey type things, you start uh, hearing the phrase, you know, repeatable research. You know, saying given the same set of inputs there, can you given a set of inputs and a methodology there, can you reproduce uh, that research there? And if you talk to well some of the folks on my research institute side, because we're also a teacher teaching and research institution there, they may quibble with the definition of repeatable research, but I, I think it's it's close enough for our particular purposes there. And so I'm looking at Chef to say, okay, how do I know how my systems are built? And given that I don't want to do operations and I don't have the luxury of doing operations, even if that was a primary interest of mine there, how can I quickly stand up something that will uh, bring the, the tool set in mind? So if we do get to that point where we have that choose your own adventure, choose your own data science adventure solution of you need Elasticsearch and you need uh, this particular visualization platform and you need uh, Hadoop stack for doing ETL. Okay, great. Let me choose these open source recipes off of you know your GitHub of choice, pull that down and say, okay, build me a box that looks like this. That's running Ubuntu 12X that has uh, the Elasticsearch platform built onto it. Give me 20 nodes just like that and join them all into a cluster. Go. And then just point your answer to that, do your analysis on it, and then perhaps tear it down completely and, and throw it away. It really is that elastic computing uh, dream that you have with cloud providers there. And so my goal with Chef is one to be able to do that kind of scale up, scale down, throw it away, don't spend a whole lot of money type of perspective, but also that I can hand that off to another part of the organization or to a service provider and say, okay, this is what I need. Here are the specifications. Uh, here are the blueprints for the solution that I need. Build me something that can do this and you can worry about the pieces to that. Uh, that's really what I try to do with my information security program where I'm, you know, as much as possible vendor neutral as far as what the solutions are for you know a technology such as firewalls, AV, etc. there and I leave that to the experts and the folks that are charged in that field to say okay you choose the the platform that makes sense for you if you want to choose a, a McAfee firewall versus you know a Cisco firewall versus a Palo Alto I don't care as long as it does this Similarly, I want to do that with my data analysis platform and say, okay, I need these kinds of specifications. You give me these interfaces and with these APIs, and I'll take it from there. So do you do modeling of those configurations like in Chef, Puppet, et cetera, or do you kind of maybe play a little bit in, vague, in the vagrant space um, to do that kind of stuff, or is it all just kind of from scratch? Uh, right now it's in the Vagrant space, and for okay. listeners that haven't used it there, you know, Vagrant is a way for you know, provisioning virtual machines. Um, you can use it to provision against you know, VirtualBox, VMware Fusion, VMware Workstation, VMware ESX. You can push it to the cloud. Really a very versatile platform for uh, giving 
primarily development environments as code that you can use it for production as well. And so I do use Vagrant with Chef today to stand up my instances. That's where that's actually one of my blocking issues right now, and I'm heading down to ChefConf in uh, San Francisco in a week and a half to try to get past some of those roadblocks of gaining just enough knowledge to be useful. And I'm dangerous now, perhaps almost useful. And we do use Vagrant and Chef to say, okay, I need a um, an R an R Studio server platform. Just go ahead and install a box that looks like that. I'll test it out, and then when I'm done, you know, it's a Vagrant destroy, and that box is gone. The data's gone, the, the footprint's gone, etc. There, and I've used that quite successfully for everything from workshops. We've got a very active meetup community around here on various different areas. And I can stand up, you know, a data analysis platform that has my Unix flavor of choice, that has the tools that I like, whether it be uh, Nime or et cetera there, stand up the tools that I need, go to the workshop, you know, learn the learnings, and then uh, extract my notes and data out of that and then destroy the environment. So it's fun. So that, that community, so I, I am heartily jealous of your RStats community in your own workplace let alone within the region that you're in, because there's other R people in the Seattle area that, you know, here I have to drive 30 minutes to find another R person. <laughs> oh, I guess I could go to Steve on my team, but if I get, you know, if it's not Steve, then I have to go 30 minutes to find another R person. Um, and even here, like UNH, which is the closest major university to me, they're just starting to do some R stuff in one of their biostats programs. I mean, they just started an R group in January. Those folks are starting from the scratch, oh, sorry, from scratch. And you know they're they're not even doing and, and they meet at times I can't meet because of because of my, my job constraints I can't even go down and, and say hello to them but you know how how has that community I guess that that support community are you able to actually bring issues with you or is it so or is it fledgling enough and you know you know the biostats community is pretty unique in how it does some things even though some of the techniques might might cross apply can they help you with things or can you bring stuff to there and they can have insights in, into some things that you're having and struggling with it maybe you know maybe only on the R side but does that help uh, not today okay. uh, that is my hope um, we do have some very smart folks and, you know even though uh, we do have an R community there, and uh, what you're alluding to there, uh, Bob, is that in addition to the R Stats meetup community here in the the local Seattle region, there we also have uh, recently stood up a internal, uh, you know, Seattle Children's only uh, R users group as well, and we've had our first meeting on that, and that was uh, well attended and successful. And the the question then becomes, you know, how do we find the content and the, the folks willing to present? to keep that going and that there's a, a time sink involved with that and the question that I'm trying to struggle with is you know how can I make this low cost enough to keep going and to invest time in and still get value out of um, it is my hope that we can bring challenges there and actually have those discussions you know when they start talking about genomics uh, analysis there you know my eyes glaze over I think it's interesting but I don't understand it <laughs> and similarly when I talk about you know log analysis there you know and, and intrusion detection and so forth there that's not going to be particularly relevant to their uh, domain specialties there but I think the the techniques are uh, very similar there so that's my hope um, you mentioned the, the difficulties of finding a local community there. If you do have those local folks there, I certainly encourage uh, the listeners to find them there and you know have a, a standing you know beers and discussion meeting there. Like I have with some of the, the Seattle folks there, we have a risky beverages meeting here about once a month there where we get together and have beverages of choice, either the caffeinated or alcoholic or whatever variety there. But maybe there's an opportunity there for uh, whether it be through DDS or security metrics or CIRA or something like that to have some sort of a virtual hangout on a regular basis, you know, to complement the things that we're doing with uh, Hangouts such as this, to say, you know, let's let's have a session there, you know, here's an hour for once a month there, and let folks come and bring the problems that they want. I think that might be a very interesting concept. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And and I, I would probably have might have agreed with you a little bit more about the, the non-domain non stuff being maybe hard to ascertain or and 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 you, you didn't you didn't dismiss it because there is value in that other stuff um I, I think as both of you have been seeing at least jay probably more than you um i i have started this thing where i i have to answer at least one stack stack overflow question a day usually r related 
Um, I set that thing up as a goal a couple weeks ago just because I wanted to do that. And also, like, there's that gamification component of it that sort of makes it somewhat addictive. But, um, And I'm finding it fascinating that there there definitely are two areas um, to to this work, not not security work, but just the, you know, the analysis part is some of it is the core techniques, whether it's in the visualization component or in the core analysis work. And some, and then you, you can even more partition that into the core work and the optimization of the core work. And what's fascinated me is some of that stuff can be easily duplicated and shared. And there's a, that's where a lot of people actually get stuck with it. So there's definitely value in talking to others, if even if it's just helping them. And if you get stuck, I think that same those non-domain people can help you. But what what I found even cooler is that you know after that you know there there are some decisions that you can't make in answering a question like I don't know you know, if it's a bio thing, whether this kind of tumor should get colored this way or these groups of tumors get colored that way in, a, in, a, in, a, in an output graph, or this makes more sense in this core plot or whatever. And you really do get to see the flavors of where the domain expertise comes in to be able to, you know, finish answering the question and finish telling the story. But I think that helps you think through your stuff better when you bring it back to, you know, when you when you go back to your place and you're doing your own stuff and you're not, and you're not talking the bio stuff anymore, or they're not talking the security stuff anymore. It will make you think better about the kinds of stuff that you're doing, and not just kind of maybe run through the scripts the way that you might have before, and really potentially change how you kind of shape and work the analyses, or even kind of do the types of research that you might be doing to try to solve those kinds of problems. So, I, so for folks who are listening to this and may want to talk to folks, you know, but are are scared that it's not going to be in your domain at all, and they're you know they're going to be scary people. The reality is, is I think you're going to get a lot out of it and be able to get a lot of use out of it, and I think also contribute back, even though you might not think you have everything you need to contribute back if you kind of go do these things. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a really really good point, and you know, for me, going out into my local community, the the local R user group and the data visualization group stuff like that. I mean, every it seems like everybody is in the same boat. To be honest, that everybody has those same thoughts about. You know, I'm not going to know as much as those people, or you know, they, um, they're going to be talking about their own domain and things like that. And um, you know, so as an example, you know, on the on the DDS blog site, we have uh, the marks data, and so this this month for the local R user group, uh, we're doing a data challenge specifically on that data set. And so I got up at the last event and I talked about what an IP address was and what ports, you know what that means and then I put up a, a little forum post on the, the site for us and and I think that at the next meetup I'll let you guys know how it goes but you know I hope that there's going to be some people playing around with this stuff because everybody everybody obviously who uses R understands what a computer is and has some vague notion of networking and, and connecting up to a server and things like that so I think that you know just getting involved and and going out and talking to people it's just been Absolutely, just unbelievably beneficial, and you get to meet some really interesting people too. I, I also suspect Jay is trying to get a free blog post out of it too. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that might, happen. that might happen. That's okay. Reduce, reuse. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and actually, speaking of, of blog posts, um, and I, I know you're going to give us a link to your presentation, David, but I, I honestly think that if you had, and you're already busy, I totally get it, but. I think the DDS community would benefit greatly if there were, and and you've got your own blog, so I'm not saying you shouldn't put on your own blog, but even reblog something on on ours related to your journey through Elasticsearch and Kibana and all that stuff, because I, again, yeah. these are really new things to folks, and you're doing some really great work there that's you know very practical oriented, that I think a lot of people would find really beneficial and interesting and informative. So you know, to, you you at least have an open offer for me to to get clone and then do a get pull request if you ever want to do that. Well, thank you that. I, I really uh, appreciate that and look forward to taking you up on that offer. You know, one of the things that um, I have not been as good at is, you know, just, you know, drinking, drinking my own Kool-Aid, eating my own dog food, choose your metaphor of choice here is is doing that sharing. And it largely, like many folks, it's the time issue there. But without posting some of that and, you know, putting yourself out there and, you know, maybe willing to look a bit of the fool sometimes because, you know, we don't know everything and we're our own harshest critic there is to, to share what we're doing right now and to get a little bit of exposure and, and start that conversation going. 
Um, if for nothing else, you know, one of the other uses of communities there is to help you out when you um, reach the the valley of suckitude, uh, where you know you just get uh, frustrated, or you know you come out with a you know there's a you read an article and they say Hadoop is dead, it long with Spark, and you say oh, great, here's yet another thing that the rock has fallen down on Sisyphus and you, he feels a little battered about picking it back up again, and you know you're going to have those times uh, where you know you just can't understand vectorization in R or something like that, and having that community not necessarily to solve the problem, well, that's fantastic if that's possible, but just to to provide some encouragement of you know um, it, this can be done or that we're all struggling with the same problems. Yeah, definitely. And and just to remind folks too that that David, apart from all this work stuff he's doing and work-related post-work stuff that he does, uh, he's also on the board of directors of the Society of Information Risk Analysts. As I believe the the director of Plaid is that is that what you are? No, um, the membership Captain director, Plaid. Captain Plaid, Captain Plaid, membership director. Uh, so he's he's giving back to the community in a lot of different ways, and his data stuff is only one of them. So and he is busy, so that's why I, I did make a point to say I, I get that he's busy. Um, but yeah, and just you know taking time out to just come on to the podcast has, has been great. And you know the the t the tweets that, I, that that I see you tweet make me somewhat jealous of of the time you have given all the management meetings. I t I seem to be stuck in these days and less time at the keyboard than I'd like. So. No. Well, it's, it's my pleasure, folks. I'm glad we're able to help each other out. Bob, did you have any closing thoughts or anything that you wanted to talk about at the end here? I, I just want to reiterate and re-encourage everyone that's listening to, if you haven't done your exploring already and haven't dipped your toe into these waters, um, yeah, David's a great example of by doing so, you can do some really cool stuff and have some really cool outcomes from it. So you know, it, it isn't just people that work on awesome breach data like Jay. Um, or, or people that kind of try to goof off and build some good stuff like me, but it's actual, you know, folks in the trenches doing this real work and having real outcomes, and, and you can do that too, and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to start. It takes a lot of effort to, you know, to get through the journey, but not, not, not to start. So I, I think right. I would just say use this as a great encouragement to, to keep going or to start if you haven't already. Good point, Bob. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. It's been a great conversation, and really do appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been absolutely wonderful. Absolutely, and, and I'm looking forward to that blog post. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can poke me. Cool. We shall. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.